0: Well, the last five Sundays, we have focused on the core values that we have identified that they're kind of the, the hills, the mountains that we believe are worth fighting for here at Fairlawn Church of the Nazarene. So can I just invite you to read these with me? We'll start over here, then we'll go to this side. Our core values are biblical faithfulness, dependent prayer, Authentic worship, creative evangelism, Christ-like discipleship, and loving relationships. And that's the last one, loving relationships, that I'd like to talk about this morning. Let me read to you our core value, in case you've wondered what this church is all about. Loving relationships. We believe that a selfless devotion to each other requires authenticity forgiveness, generosity, and the building of intentional accountability and community here at Fairlawn Church of the Nazarene. I grew up in central Missouri, right in the middle, it's probably the northern side of what we call the Ozarks. I love my hills, I love my trees, I love my possum gravy. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I am hungry though. But I grew up in a county called Calloway, Calloway County. It was one of those strange counties that sat right on the line uh, division of uh, during the Civil War. All of Missouri was neutral. They didn't consider themselves north or south officially. But I sat, uh, Calloway County sat right in the middle uh, of the north and south, and so there were some leanings both ways, to be honest, in, in people in my county, especially there in the 18, in mid-1800s. And even, so even though Missouri was officially a neutral state, there was no doubt that it was divided, and the line seemed to go right through east-west, right through Missouri, and Callaway County was right in the middle. Uh, just to the north of us they consider themselves Yankees and just to the south they consider themselves Confederates. But my county, Callaway County, has the dubious honor of being the only county in the whole United States that decided to secede from the Union. I know it rocked your world. There were gasps, I know. I I just heard a few of them. So, back in the mid 1800s, Callaway County decided that they were going to create their own country. Yeah. Uh, They called themselves the Kingdom of Callaway. Now, they didn't succeed. I know that surprises you. There's no, there's no, National border, just right in the middle of, of Missouri, but, but they called themselves the Kingdom of Callaway, and of course, Lincoln and his soldiers took care of that little mess really quick. But, uh, but even today, it's, it's on the letterhead of the county that I grew up, and it's called the Kingdom of Callaway, just, just for fun. But because we straddled the cultural fence of the North and South, you could go into any restaurant growing up, at least, in my county, and order grits if you wanted them, right? Anybody ever had grits? Okay. Now, I admit that grits aren't my favorite thing in the world. In fact, I don't think people even know how they're made, what they're made out of. Nobody knows. I mean, it's, it's really impossible to know. I know, what, I know what grits come from. But in my opinion, grits are right up there with warm gruel. Ever had gruel? I, I, have, I, I know there's good ways to have grits. You've got to put a whole lot of something in it, like butter or sugar. That always helps grits to taste a little bit better. But one thing that proved, that always proved that you were not from the South is if you went to the Spot Cafe, where I learned how to drink Coffee for the first time with my grandpa. If you went into the Spot Cafe and you ordered a grit, they knew he ain't smart. Number one, but he ain't from the South. If you ordered a grit, it's it's like uh, grits never came in singular fashion, right? It's as if you put on a pant. You don't put on a pant in the morning, do you? It just doesn't sound right, does it? You know, there's a lot, you know, the the church is a whole lot like grits. Now, I know you're waiting for me to explain that statement. Some of you are a little bit more grittier than others, but the church is a whole lot like grits. We're never on our own. We've been created to be in community with each other. Other people have touched our lives and made us who we are, our parents, our grandparents, our friends, our neighbors, our teachers, our, our Sunday school leaders. Some have touched you for the better and Others have made you cry and made you different than what you wanted to be, but we're all affected by those that God has kind of allowed us to grow up with. God made us that way to be people of community. He said that it's not good for humans to to be alone, to, to, to experience life in isolation. That wounds the heart, right? We're not... We're not built to live in caves all by ourselves. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, It's not good for man to be alone. God made human beings and he knew that they weren't made to be all by themselves. He created us to be in community. That's why our topic this morning is so important loving relationships. You were made to have deep relationships to serve lavishly, to share the stuff that you've been given, to build into the lives of the people around you, to have people to whom you can entrust the secrets of your heart, to laugh with people, to praise with people, to pray with people and cry with others, not all by yourself. The brand new church in what we consider the book of Acts it was described in Acts as a picture of a whole bunch of grits pushed together. They were all loving together. They were supporting each other. They were, support, they were protecting each other. And they were certainly worshiping. So I invite you to stand. And I'm going to read a description of, of, uh, the, of the church in Acts. Please stand in honor of God's word. Can I just remind us that the word of God is worthy of honor. It's without error. It's inspired. It holds stories of fulfilled prophecies. It gives us promises, wisdom. I promise you the word of God will change your life. Hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to start in Acts chapter 2. And then I'll also read a passage in chapter 4. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had Everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Chapter 4. All the believers were with and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm confident <clears throat> that when you read the descriptions throughout Acts of the First Church, you will f- not find any group that is more committed to the power of unity, and of loving relationships as these people. Just look at Acts chapter 2, that first passage that I read, and you can begin to understand the words all and everyone or together. They were used often to illustrate who this church, this brand new group of people were and how they acted and interacted with each other. It's only been a very few times in my life and a few relationships, maybe a few teams in my life where every member was extremely in tune with the other member. I've talked to you often about growing up in high school and being a part of a great marching band, and I remember those Friday nights on the, on the gridiron or on the football field, the lights were now on and it was halftime. And I had some type of drum strapped to me. I played several different ones. They didn't have the, 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 the congas in marching band, but uh, I had other things to play. But we would march in lockstep with a snare that I would play or a group of us would play. And everybody was perfectly on beat Every knee came up the same height. Everybody had uh, shoes polished and the uniform was perfect. And we would march in onto that field, everybody looking perfect, nobody out of tune. And as you, if you've ever played in a marching band, we would play a song and our band director had created this movement that if everybody was exactly perfect with their steps, we would be able to to show big scenes or pictures on the gridiron for those who were watching, and it would all be perfectly timed to the song that we were playing. Everybody had to be perfect, and we happened to be very good at the Fulton Band marching band. I was a part of a basketball team. I was a horrible player. Everybody else was good, but it was amazing how everyone knew all the plays we we knew who to who to trust who not to trust we knew who had certain gifts and others might not have the other gifts and so we knew how to work it all out we were perfectly in tune my twin brother and i have a relationship that i don't have with any other sibling we know each other so much better and obviously a relationship with a husband and wife is totally different than any relationship that you will have outside of that marriage. You know each other through and through. We find a special focus on community in this church in the book of Acts that I'm speaking about this morning. Together, the New Testament church had an unusual spiritual unity. The scripture says all of the believers were, were one in heart and in mind they had this common faith it was all brand new remember it reminds me of john chapter uh, 1 john chapter 1 verse 7 where john said if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus his son purifies us from all sin john is saying that there is this interesting connection between actively walking in what we know to be true but but, do, but doing what we know to be true while in relationship with others walking in the light. It's, there's, there's this connection of doing what we know to be true and walking with those who are also doing what they know to be true. The new church members had decided that the gospel of Jesus Christ was worth living for, and many worth dying for. Understand the historical context of this passage. Don't take this passage out of context. Just in the last few years, imagine what the apostles and all of those who consider themselves to be a part of the New Testament church had gone through. Just imagine with me. In the last few years, they had just heard about this miracle of a virgin birth, they had begun to meet, to be introduced to uh, the the one who fulfilled all the messianic prophecies that they and all of their their lineage had prayed for for hundreds of years. This Messiah was now living with them, they had watched his life they 'd watched him be tempted yet they did not uh, he did not sin they watched this jesus who called himself the messiah die on a cross and explained to them that he was dying just as the lambs that they would take to sacrifice had he was now the pure sacrifice he not only died he, they they saw him after He resurrected. He was now victor over death and hell. And he was the sovereign God of the universe. They are just now hearing this just in the last few years. And they're just having these constant explosions of their mind. And it's ringing true with them. And they had built this common faith around this brand new person that they were recognizing was the Messiah. They had built their faith. This church was built around this person. We too have built our church around this common belief. The Apostles' uh, Creed, we've heard it often read and we sometimes read it in our service. It was, it was a, 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 a reading that was created, we believe, around Baptism back in the 3rd and 4th century A.D., after Christ died, three to 400 years after Christ died. Let me just read it to you. They would join together. Perhaps let's read this together. The Apostles' Creed, they might have read together over almost 2,000 years ago. Let's read it together. Ready? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Church universal, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Can you imagine as a brand new church gathering together, wondering if they were going to make it, beginning to quote this every single time they would come together. It was a unifying creed of what they believed. We here at Fairlawn Church of the Nazarene have, have decided that there are some very important things that we need to constantly be focused on. We are a people who have decided that the Word of God is powerful, inspired, and without error. We believe, or we are a people who recognizes that God loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. We are a people who know that life is precious and we should value and protect it from the unborn all the way to the elderly. We are a people who know that God loves us unconditionally. And there is nothing that we can do to make Him love us any more. And there's nothing that we can do to make God love us any less. And we are a people who know that God is in charge of the past, present, and future. And we can trust Him. Amen? I'd like to list out some things to you that we value. I certainly value and I know you do as well. The first is that we will value community over isolation. We will value community over isolation. Only loving God together do we find spiritual fulfillment. It's not good for man to live alone, God told Adam and Eve. It wasn't just a nice little thing that God gave his people to use during weddings. Isolation never succeeded. We sometimes read in our history books about uh, monks, priests, nuns going off to live in a cave all by themselves. We were not made to live and worship God only alone. There are times when we are invited to go off to hear from God but then we are to come together in, in community. Everyone needs to be part of a group. If you're not a part of a Bible study or a small group or a group of men who come together for breakfast or women who, do, who study the Word of God, I would encourage you to find opportunities to join a group. And if you can't find one, start one yourself. It's not just when we come together corporately like this to worship together that's important, but we need to get with two, three, four other people to pray together, to do life together. I felt the community needed to be a priority during the first year as I came as as your pastor, and that's, that's why we focused on the foyer very early, is because I often have said that that. Things of consequence are often done more often in the foyer than the sanctuary. I think we all could look back to certain conversations, certain comments somebody made. Maybe somebody put their arm around you or prayed for you in a common place like our foyer. And we recognize that God was continuing our worship time, our training time, our discipleship time. It wasn't just happening in the sanctuary, but it happens all the way throughout this building. That's why we put a focus on our, our foyer. That's why we started our Sunday suppers once every uh, one Sunday evening a month is just to come together and have fun and, and play games and eat good food and have great community. It's around tables playing games that somebody might learn something about you and begin praying for you and you might develop a, a mentoring relationship. It's why we had our car show during Father's Day. It's, it's why we encouraged Cornerstone to begin again and men's ministry to begin again. It's because we here at Fairlawn believe it's so important for us to do community together. You see, it was only together that the church was powerful and purposeful. Verse 33 says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. Someone wrote, a vibrant community is a community on mission. A vibrant community is a community on mission. They have something that they believe in, and they're doing it together. When a believing community purposely decides to become unified and focus, there is power. All of us, some of us went shooting yesterday just for the fun of it while the women were, were having a baby shower. And, and I think all of us get the, the difference between a shotgun and a rifle. A shotgun has, has, it spreads the beads. It's really good for those of us who aren't really good shots. We just kind of spread the, the beads all over and we might, maybe, we might hit a target. But it's only effective just for 10, 20, 40 yards, maybe. But a rifle isn't made for just a short distance. It's normally used and it's only one bullet that, that leaves that rifle and it goes for a long ways and it is powerful and it is strong. Often a church is a shotgun. It, it's kind of spread and is not really focused and the community isn't strong. But what would happen if the church was a rifle? A church was focused on one thing. The apostles were passionate about this life-changing resurrection that had just happened. They preached it. They taught it. They lived it out. They talked about it. They testified in very dangerous places. In fact, many of them gave their lives to be able to teach this. What if we did the same? Not give our lives, um, but who knows? But what if we had that same level of commitment? What if we purposely decided that we were going to talk to this community, to the community that God has placed us in, about the, the experience that we had With Jesus. What if we were so committed to that that we prayed every single day before we left, Lord, I'm expecting you to bring somebody in my life today that I can share about you? And we had the opportunity to help them experience forgiveness, help them experience godly relationship, help them recognize God's care. That they have a future in heaven, that they could have a, a friendship, a relationship with God. What would be that outcome if every single day we expected that and we prayed for it? What would be the outcome? I think it would be the same as what we find in verse 33 much grace was upon them all. Philippians 2:2, Paul says, Make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. It's also only through a total dependency on God that we become unified. Romans 15, Paul says, "Make the God, uh, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves, as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth. You may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see by following Christ together we begin to rub off, rub off on each other. By following Christ together we begin to encourage each other. By following Christ together we protect each other. And by doing it together we glorify God. We value here at our church caring for each other. Together, the church in chapter 4 took care of each other's needs. It says there was no needy person among them from time to time. Those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need, as New believers, they ensured that everyone was cared for. Their goods were at the disposal of God's people. You see, God knows that the only way for all of our needs to be met was that we live with this open hand mentality. We must purposely care for our community our church as well as our community by holding our, open, our hands open and literally meaning it. God, I recognize I only manage what you already own. So it's yours. You do whatever you want with what you own. It's a gift. I read a story about pastors in, in Brazil began to preach the message of stewardship and discipleship that it was God who owned and they merely managed their houses and their vehicles and people begin to get serious about recognizing that truth and there just was a movement among the, the people that they began to bring in the titles of their houses and and the the titles of their cars and give it to the pastors and the pastors were just They didn't quite know what to do. And so they decided that they were going to prayer. And after six months of praying, they invited those who had given them these titles back to the church. And they said, we have been praying. And we've recognized that God does not want your houses empty. He wants You in your house for you to use it as his host. He wants to use your car as you are the driver of your car. And so now the story says all of the houses are open. And when visitors come, they don't need to worry about where they can stay or if someone has lost their home or is in need for a place to stay for a week or so. There's no problem because the pastors have all of these people who says, my house isn't mine anyway. It's yours, God. People are welcome anytime they want. And if somebody needs a ride to the doctor or they need to go to the grocery store or if they don't have a car and just need somebody to help them, it's no problem. God has all of these resources that he's given to us. And the people had come to the recognition that They just manage these gifts that God has given. He owns them in the first place. So my question is, how do we right here in this local church care for our community, both our local church community and those around us? Well, I just had some of us put together a list of of what we do, especially in the last year. I don't know if you noticed, but I don't know if you knew, but sometimes we have uh, some people that uh, are homeless that sometimes sleep in this area and when they see us coming to church they think well maybe that's a place where i can find some food and we're very glad to help if necessary i mean i've never been homeless i've never you can tell i haven't missed very many meals but i can just imagine what would happen if i had a couple nights sleeping in the cold air and missing several meals and if I saw some people, maybe I could get some food. So we, we keep here in our building some bags of food. Uh, food that you don't have to cook. We've got some bottles of water and we can easily take a bag and fill it and give that person a couple, uh, a, a couple meals that they could last for a day or two. Regularly we have people coming just needing help and we provide them whatever we can. Sometimes it's taking them to the doctor. There's some people right here in our church that don't, don't have a way to get to the doctor, so we, we're able to take them. Sometimes we're able to give them enough money to get gas in their car or pay an electric bill whenever the air condition, uh, they don't have enough money for uh, their electric bill and it is extremely hot, or sometimes it's to make sure that their car is repaired we pray for God's advice, uh, God's wisdom and protection for them. And sometimes we have helped them to get bus tickets so that they could go back home. Sometimes we've allowed people to use our bathrooms and, and our showers and, and our telephones so that they could get help. Sometimes we've helped them with lodging. We know that it is our responsibility here at Fairlawn to provide resources What you're giving in your tithes and offerings sometimes helps homeless people. Sometimes it helps someone who has an electric bill or their gas can't be turned back on unless we help. We want to be God's hand extended and I'm confident that that's what you want as well. It's our church caring for others. We also value people over possessions. We value people over possessions. There's no doubt that Luke as he was writing the book of Acts, wanted us to understand a couple very important things. I think one of them is the church is so much more healthy when we are together. The church is more healthy when we do life together. And also the church is so much more effective when we love each other. We become stronger individually individually when we do life together. Amen. Amen. I've gone through all of the book of Acts and I've marked in my personal Bible right here in yellow, all of what I call the growth verses. In almost every one, it, it was the church working together when they saw growth. Or it was a couple of people working together at least. Sometimes they went out in small groups. Sometimes it was the whole church that went out. But, but rarely it was one person doing one thing all by themselves. It was rarely a, a, a lone evangelist who saw great growth. But in chapter 2 verse 41 it says those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number daily. uh, uh, about 3,000 were added to their number that day. In chapter 4, verse 4, it says, but many who heard the message believed and the number of men grew to about 5,000. In chapter 6, verse 7, it says, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. In chapter 9, verse 31, the church was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in number, living in the fear of the Lord. There's no doubt about it. When the New Testament church was unified and was focused on caring for one another, they grew in numbers, and they grew spiritually deeper, and they mirrored the holiness of God. So that's what I am committed to, and I know that you are committed to here at Fairlawn Church of the Nazarene, loving relationships. Would you please stand? I recently read a story about a, a man who was ousted from his white-collar office job. Uh, because of an indiscretion that he had. I'm not sure what it was. He he had a very comfortable, good-paying job. But because he didn't have anything, he decided that he needed to get some type of job just to put bread on the table. So he took on a job with a concrete crew simply to make sure that his family had something to eat he was suddenly plunged into a drastically different world instead of going to an office each day he was hauling loads of concrete block multiple levels up a uh, up a high rise at a construction site gone was the piped in music the hot coffee in the hall now he had to endure The blaring radios from all of the construction teams and profanity that was constantly thrown out where he was trying to work, especially from his foreman. His foreman was awful, screaming at him all the time. Near the end of the third week, the new employee felt that he could take it no more. He said, I'll work till break time this morning, he told himself, and then that's it. I'm quitting and I'm going home. Shortly before noon, the foreman came around with all of the paychecks. As he handed the man his envelope, he made the very first civil comment to him in three weeks. Hey, there's a woman working in the front office that knows you. She says that she cares for your kids sometimes in the nursery of your church. The man thought that was odd. She, he didn't know that anyone went to his church that worked for this company. And when he opened his envelope, he found, along with his check, a handwritten note from that payroll clerk lady. She writes, "'When one part of the body of Christ suffers, we all suffer with it. "'I just wanted you to know that I'm praying for you during these difficult days.'" He stared at the note, astonished at God's timing. He hadn't even known that the lady worked for his company. Here at his lowest hour, she had given him the courage to go on to push another wheelbarrow of of concrete up that ramp. It was a loving relationship that encouraged him to keep going. It was the church at work the church caring for each other, the church loving each other, the church valuing doing life together. Can I tell you what is extremely important to us here at Fairlawn Church of the Nazarene? Here it is, loving relationships. We believe that a selfless devotion to each other requires authenticity, forgiveness, generosity, and the building of of intentional accountability and community. Much too. One of the things I told you was how important the foyer was. I've had conversations that were life-changing for me and I think maybe life-changing for others. I believe people were healed in the foyer. I believe people understood God just a little bit better just in conversations. So I, I just encourage you. You'd you're not in that big of a hurry. Stick around. Have conversations. Sit down on our seats and pray with somebody. Disciple somebody. Tell a good joke. It's in conversations, it's in community where we begin to love each other, learn from each other, recognize we're all on this path together. I want to make sure that I have the opportunity and Darla has the opportunity to get to know all of you and She's just a little bit slower right now and if you'll allow Darl and I to get back down this aisle before the aisle fills up, that would really help us to be able to shake some hands and pray for you as we greet each other in the back. Would you receive this benediction? May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Jesus Christ so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go in peace for he's already gone before you. You're dismissed.